Well, as I mentioned, I just got back from Israel this morning, and so I didn't know if I'd actually be back in time for church or if I was here, if I'd actually be awake. But praise the Lord, I slept seven hours last night. So, yeah, that's, uh, if you've ever dealt with jet lag, that's, that's kind of a big deal. I'm, I'm excited. So I actually get to be here and be awake. But because I didn't know if I'd be home or not, um, I'd asked a friend of mine to come and speak today. Uh, Gerson, and Cardo- uh, Gerson and Nicole Cardona are great friends. I can't even remember their names, but they're great friends of ours. We've known them f- for a few years, and they've been a huge blessing in our lives as we've got to spend time with them. Uh, they, were, they used to be at The Rock in Anaheim and served as the par- a part of the team there, and now they're actually at a church up in Hesperia. Uh, and, do, and they oversee the youth and children's ministry at that church amongst a myriad of other things. Because I know when your pastors and both of them serve on staff there, uh, when you're part of a church team like that, you have your primary responsibilities and then a lot more. But more than anything, their love for the Lord and their love for people is just so evident. And if you spend two minutes with them, you'll see that just coming through. The love of God just kind of oozes out of them. And so I asked Gerson if he would come and, and share the Word of God with us, with us this morning. Would you welcome him as he comes and speaks? Well, good morning, Thrive Glendora. How are you today? Good, good. You know, I know it's tough. One, we just heard some horrible news, and maybe after service we can, or, or towards the end of the service, we can just pray for Texas and that church and that body as it's hurting. Um, so uh, we're going to jump into the Word. But before I do that, I think it's also tough because your pastor has been away. He's been traveling, first Haiti, and then he comes back for a week or so, and then he, he speaks to you guys, and then he's gone again. So you guys are just like, our pastor's back, and we've got this guy, right? <laughs> Wow, that is tough, Pastor Barry. Like, what are you doing to me here? You're killing me. So, um, but I am so excited to be here. As Pastor Barry said, we, we just have come to love uh, Pastor Barry and his family. We've only known them for a few years, but we've had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with them. Throughout those few years, we met at Camp Cedar Crest. If you have children or youth, you know that that's where our church organization sends all of our, our next-gen department. Even the adults go over there as well. So you know that Camp Cedar Crest is a lot of fun during the summer. And so, as you know, your pastors the last couple of years, they've been involved with the activities. And I've got to tell you, the activities play a huge role at camp. It really draws the students and the children out there. And so these guys and their team, they have an amazing team. And so we've gotten to know uh, Micah, Blake, Gavin, Grace, all of them, right? They serve together as a family. And so it's awesome to see them. And so we get to spend almost like three to four weeks out of the year with them during the summertime because my wife and I, we oversee our next-gen department. And so we're up there with our children's camp or and then, of course, junior high and high school. So we're up there just about the whole summer, it feels like, but it's a great time. So you have amazing pastors. I am privileged. I am honored to be here. Um, I don't take it lightly, and uh, I am just humbled by the opportunity to be here. I want you to know that. Um, as I said, this is a little tough. Uh, Pastor Barry's here. I, if he wasn't here, I could have been like, it went great. Or if he texted me, I'd have been like, uh, busy right now in a meeting, text you back. But he's here. But you know what? Let me tell you something. At least it's not as bad as the pressure that my dad had when he was, uh, when I was a young boy. Uh, see, I am a son of an evangelist, son of a preacher. And so as a young boy, I'd travel with my parents and my dad. We'd go to all kinds of different churches. But we are Hispanic. We're, my parents are Guatemalan. And so you know, some different cultures cultural differences. So don't judge right away when I tell you this story. But there is this pastor in LA that invited my dad to go preach out there all the time. And you know, I was a kid, there was a season in my life where I just loved going to church when I was about this tall. And then I got to about this height and uh, I know I haven't grown much since. But um, there was a short period in my life when I just was not about church. I did a complete 180. I went the opposite direction. But there was a season in my life where I loved it, right? So I'd come to my dad and I'd, I'd ask days in advance. Here's the thing about Spanish preachers, churches, the Spanish culture. If the day ends in a day, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, they're like, that's a good day to have church. 
So there was church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all the time, right? So I was constantly asking my dad, what church are we going to this time? Because my dad loved taking his family with him. So every now and then he'd tell me the name of the pastor, and I'd be like, oh, I want to go there. The reason I wanted to go there, now don't judge, this pastor, you know, sometimes you get good ideas and you think they're really good, and then maybe in hindsight, that eh, wasn't the best idea. But this pastor had a traffic light that he had up on the stage somewhere. Some of you already know where this might be going. And occasionally when he'd have a guest speaker, what he would do is the traffic light would be set to green. If the guest speaker started to veer off a little bit and go in an area where he just wasn't so comfortable, he'd want to warn his church immediately. So guess what? It turned to yellow. Yes, I am telling you the truth. And then for some reason, the preacher, the guest speaker just started to just fail. Maybe it was a red flashing light. We never saw that. My dad always hung out in the green. But uh, it was just like, really, we're going to that church. I just wanted to see if it ever changed color, you know, go to yellow, go to green. So, of course, uh, technology has advanced. You see the green lights on the stage. <laughs> Pastor Barry's got, you know, on his phone, he can just change it. Maybe I veer off into the yellow a little bit, but uh, anyway, hey, we're going to have fun today. You know, um, uh, I'm going to go quick. Uh, the Lord put a message on my heart, and uh, I was feeling good about it, and then I realized, oh, I thought this was the message, and it changed real quick. So I told, um, I told the graphic media team, I said, don't even worry about about the verses. I'll just give them out to you. So for you note takers, I'll give you the verses we're going to be in. And part of the reason I do that too is I'm a little spazzy. And if your screen comes up, I could just start looking at the font and be like, why did they choose that font and forget why I'm up here? So don't worry about it. We're going to have a good time. Um, before we do that, as I get to get started here, I am here with my wife, Nicole, my children, my three daughters. They are next door at your children's church, and so we're just really happy to be here. Um, like I said, our family has come to love your, your pastors and their family. And I, I do want to tell you something a little funny. Uh, I've so become my dad um, as an evangelist. I'm, I realize this now. It's a good thing. He's a good guy. Uh, my girls are not in the building, so I'll tell you this. You could appreciate this and laugh. Um, I have three daughters. Addison is my oldest. She'll be nine in December. Then I've got Alyssa. She's the one in the middle. Any middle child children here? Yes, you know what that's like. And then I've got the youngest, Ashley. We did not go with A's on purpose. What happened is they just came one after another, and we just had good names, and we're like, we went with it. Now when I try to yell at them, it's like, ah, ah, you know. So it didn't work. But we sang a song today that what my middle child she just absolutely loves it. She's probably going to be a worship leader. She'll like write songs in the car and she's got this melody. Like not too long ago, I was like, what was that song you were, look you were singing? And I had my app open. I'm like, maybe I can figure it out and find it on Spotify. And so we went around and she's like, well, finally we realized it's just some melody she made up. I'm like, oh, okay. So this one, Alyssa, there's a song that we sang. It's, uh, oh, it says something like, I'm not going to sing it because I want you to stay in church. But it says, uh, it says something like, voices unite. Come on, sing it louder, right? Okay, so Alyssa, she is all about horses, okay? She loves horses. My wife and I, we're from, uh, I'm from L.A. My wife's from Orange County. Currently, we are in Hesperia. Hesperia, there's, if you've been up there to the in and out that we have, um, you would see like, right, you know, like, oh, there's a, it's kind of like a ranch town. So we're driving down the street one day, and Alyssa, she's like, Dad. I'm like, yeah. I'm paying attention to all these properties. I'm like, oh, big word. She's like, these are all great for having horses. And I'm thinking, really, kid? So she loves horses, right? So this song, Voices Unite, come on, sing it louder. She was singing it one day, and we're like, wait, what did you just say? She was like, horses unite, sing it louder, louder. And we're like, what? <laughs> It was hilarious, the funniest thing. Of course, this is my middle child, right? She also told me the other day, she's like, Dad, you got time for a riddle? I'm like, sure. So she says, what do you call something that comes out of Cancun? I'm thinking, um, Mexican? I'm thinking, I'm thinking this, right? 
So I'm not going to go with that. I'm thinking, a tourist. She looks at me like I'm crazy. No, Dad, a butterfly. Sweetheart, cocoon. <laughs> not Cancun. So anyway, you know what? That's a perfect transition with what I want to talk to you about. Here's why. The message that I'm bringing you today is some very practical do's and don'ts. And sometimes we have to go there because, you know, you just miss the little things. And it just doesn't make sense, right? Cancun. And I'm like, no. Cancun. No, Cancun. All right, you win. And I think sometimes we do that. We just miss tiny little things. We don't mean to do it. Just inadvertently it happens and we just miss it. And if you miss that dial or change that dial by just a tad, you can miss something by a long shot. So I just felt impressed to come back to these, to a couple of points um, that I'm calling practical, practical do's and don'ts. Amen. Before we get into that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. Father, we... Uh, we lift up Texas to you, Lord. We lift up this church and this pastor, Father. And by the name of your son, Jesus, we declare restoration. We, dis- we declare healing. Lord, may this, be, may this be something that allows your wonderful spirit, your comforter, the comforter to come through and just sweep on through and bring healing and restoration, Lord. May something amazing come out of this, Father, whether it be the body of, of Christ in Texas just coming together and sewing together in unity, Father. Whatever it is, Father, we put it before you. Father, as I bring this message, Lord, I instantly want to decrease, Lord. Father, may it be nothing of me but all of you, Father. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you turn with me to Mark chapter 5? An upside-down Bible is not going to work. I brought my iPad and my Bible, so I'm both new school and old school today. But we are just going to go to Mark chapter 5. And what I want to do today is I want to take a look at a couple of biblical stories that are captured in the Bible. I believe they're there for an absolute reason, right? Sometimes we can just take from somebody else's mistakes and just have a lesson learned, right? Why go through that problem yourself? Parents, you can understand that. You know, I'm a parent now and I have to have these conversations with my children. Like, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you. And then I'm like, okay, I'm talking to the five-year-old. So, but it's the truth, right? If we can have, we want, if we can impart these lessons learned and save ourselves some trouble, that would be an amazing thing. So I want to take a look at a couple of different Bible stories, and we're going to take some things from that that we can learn from. And let's go over to verse 32. When you're there, just go ahead and say amen. Amen. I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version. If you don't have that, would you just follow along? You'll find your place. Look at that. I said Matthew, and I meant Mark. Did I say Mark? Excellent. So I'm in Matthew. (laughs) Yellow light? No. Okay. Praise God. Right? Here we go. Excellent. This is Jesus here. Verse 32 says, And he looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened, what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I just want to stop right there. I just want to get your attention real quick. This is Jesus, and he stops. We just read the text. Something happened that obviously is not good enough for him to just continue on through this town. He, something happened. So he stops, he looks around, and then this woman immediately begins to tremble in fear. And she says, it was me, it was me, I confess, she says. 
for those of you that are churched and can guess and know already where we're at, we're talking about this woman who had suffered with this flow of blood, right? It was a menstrual problem. She just could not stop. And so she had had this condition for 12 years. Well, anybody to have a condition for 12 years, that's a tough thing, you know. But forget that. If we start to add ancient culture into this, this was trouble for her because she was considered unclean. Guess what? You get to come to church today, but if you were that time of the month, guess what? No church for you today. In fact, you would have to wait once that flow of blood started. You would have to wait an additional seven days to be considered clean. So too bad, too sad if somebody got married that weekend or if there was a special, whatever it was, you could not participate. So this woman, through no fault of her own, is suffering with this condition for 12 years. That is a long time. Add to that the fact that this had cost her a ton of money. The Bible goes on to tell us that her livelihood had been spent and taken by the physicians. So have you ever been ill and you've gone to one doctor and said, you know what, I'm just not happy with that report. You know what, I know he's a doctor and he went to school 27 years, but I'm going to go ahead and go down the road and get a second opinion. And then a third opinion and a fourth opinion, right? And so this woman had spent her livelihood on physicians. So she's considered unclean. She spent her livelihood on on physicians. She's got this condition where she's losing blood. And how many of you know that that blood equals life, right? You get into a major traumatic accident. You need a blood transfusion if you're losing blood, right? And so this woman is suffering with this condition. And so what happens here is I'm going to just go ahead and fast forward and just kind of condense it for you guys so that we can cover some ground. But this woman sees an opportunity to grab hold of a miracle that can change her life forever. But I need to tell you a couple more things so that you can really understand this. Okay, so she's, she's broke. She's considered unclean. She's not socially acceptable right now because she is, she is unclean. She has this condition. She didn't choose it, but she has it. If she was out in public and just accidentally touched or bumped into somebody, guess what? It was like a serious case, case of cooties back then. It was like, uh, you just touched me. I am now unclean. You would have to go through this process to get clean again because you accidentally bumped into somebody. Now, because of that, they had a very serious punishment to that offense and that was that she could have suffered death by stoning see this is just crazy because in our day in society and culture and age in our society we don't understand any of these things like repercussions like seriously you know you have people throwing tantrums because they got a speeding ticket and they're doing 80 by the way i am happy to be in my calling but I've got tickets to prove that I was probably meant to be a race car driver, stunt driver, all of those things. But the truth is that sometimes we flip out about these tiny little things. But this woman could have, her life could have been ended by stoning because of what she did. Of course, what she did was she saw an opportunity. She heard about Jesus. She knew he was moving in through town. She had heard about all the miracles he had performed. And she makes it up in her mind. And she says, you know what? I'm going after this. It's my one and only chance. And so she creeps up and she touches him. But there's something different about the touch that came from this woman versus the crowd. And that's my first point for all of you that take notes. I want you to write this down. You need to be intentional. That is point number one. You have to be intentional about everything that you do, whether it be your personal life, your church life, your ministry life, whatever it is, your actions have to have intentionality behind them so that they can accomplish that which they can accomplish if you so choose to be intentional. What am I talking about? There's a verse. How many of you guys know that the disciples 
disciples were just they were a little glazed over sometimes. They were just lost. They didn't get very many things, right? Kind of have a little bit of a smart mouth on them sometimes. And this is one example. So Jesus is walking. This woman grabs him and touches him. Jesus stops and says, who touched me? And luckily the Bible doesn't tell us which smart aleck it was. But one of them says, Lord, the crowd throngs and presses on you. And you stop and ask, who touched you? Like that was, that was automatically, automatically shows us that Jesus was full of compassion because, you know, maybe he was tired and he could have been like, right about now, let me just, you know, like really, would you cut it out with the silly questions? Who touched me, right? Jesus stopped to do this because as he was touched with intention, power out from him. And healed the woman. See, the crowd was thronging around him. The best example I can give you is Disneyland. Oh, thank God we're in Hesperia, far from the land of Disney, because my wife loves Disney and I love my wife, so we used to go to Disney all the time. We had Disneyland passes and we didn't even have children. And we're going to Disneyland all the time. We're. But you know what? Sometimes I pull up into that parking lot and that parking structure is 100 floors high, and I'm thinking, all the cars in the world are here right now. We're going to go face that crowd. And then when you get down over there by, like, the Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, they've got the show or whatever, and then the crowds just start to get heavy. And that's the way I can kind of picture it, right? You're, we used to, when we did go with our girls, uh, some, of, some people from The Rock remember us, our old church, they remember us with a big double stroller, a double wide. We had two, sometimes three of our girls in there at the time, you know, just kind of moving through that crowd. And you know what? At Disneyland, it was the exact same thing. Moving through Disneyland with that stroller was tough. I'm running over people sometimes. I'm sorry. You know, I should have gotten an air horn. Burp, burp. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> or reverse, beep, beep, beep. You know, it was tough. When you're in a crowded situation, you're touching people all the time, inadvertently. But you know what? If there's no intention behind it, then it's whatever. But in this case, this woman, what she did, there was intentionality behind it. She wanted something. She, Jesus, see, here's, okay, I'm going to tell you this. I need to tell you this so that you can understand it. This story was not about her. If you go read this chapter, it's not about her. The story is about somebody else. She comes and sort of hijacks the story for about her 15 seconds of fame, and she gets healed. In fact, the Bible doesn't even give her a name. When I speak this message in youth, I call her Flo, for obvious reasons, right? But then when Jesus gets done with her, I give her a last name, and it's no more. <laughs> Flo, no more. But isn't that what happened? That's the truth. You got to forgive me. I'm still in youth. That's who I usually preach at. But this is the truth, family. This woman was intentional about what she was doing. The story wasn't about her. It didn't start about her. It wasn't going to give her her five minutes of fame or camera time. But she just like, she knew there's this opportunity. This man, Jesus, is coming through and I've got to reach for his garment. I'm going to be intentional about my actions. And this is what this woman does. We come to verse 34, and of course, Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. She got that thing which she so needed desperately. She was willing, willing to suffer the consequences. When was the last time we moved with that type of faith? Where we're like, you know what? I may fall flat on my face. That's like the extent of it for us. But for this woman, it was like, I may be stoned to death right now. But this is my only opportunity for healing. I've got no money. It's been 12 long years. I cannot participate with my own culture and society because I am unclean. I need this thing. When was the last time we moved with that type of intentionality? 
That's what we need to do. And like I said, it could, it could be for your church. It could be for your family. You could even apply this if you're not even so sure about this Jesus thing. It'll give you great results really well. So if you're visiting and you're just saying, I'm not so sure about this. Okay. It doesn't have to be. This actually doesn't, doesn't, doesn't only just work if you include Jesus in it, but that's the best way it works. That gets you the best results. If you want to read more about this, this, this uh, story here, you can do so in Mark chapter 5, verses 25 to 34. But we are going to move along. <clears throat> We're going to go to our next point. We're going to move to Luke. Let's go over to Luke chapter 7. I'm going to move a little quicker because I want to get to my third point. This is the story of the centurion in Capernaum. The centurion was a man of authority. He understood authority. He, he moved in it. He had 100 soldiers working for him, under him, that he commanded. And his servant is ill, dying. And we're going to have to play detective here a little bit because this story appears in Luke and also in Matthew. Um, apparently, there are some, some apparent contradictions in the story, in the two accounts. But there is no contradiction there. This week, I had to play detective at, at our church because uh, a couple Sundays ago, um, some things went down in one of the junior high classrooms and and I happen to go over to that, that side after like our second service and I see that there's a young girl in tears. Her mom's off to the side and she says, hey, can we talk to you for a minute? And I'm like, sure. So we talk a little bit and I realize that some students did some things that just were not acceptable. So I had to launch an investigation the whole week in the back of my mind. I had like, what's the name? Law and Order music playing in the back of my head. And I'm calling parents, I'm talking to some students. And turns out that one of the students that was involved is somebody that Pastor Barry had to just put the love of the fear of Christ into this summer. We had a student up at camp. So all right, I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. So this summer, we're up at camp. My wife and I, we were up there for a couple of camps. But the last one of the camps that we were up there for, we were in charge of, I don't even know what we were in charge of. The point is, we were in charge of making sure that everybody was being good. All the leaders and their students were good. And uh, uh, one night, uh, somebody raised their hand. I'm leading the meeting. And somebody says, hey, there was a student that, and then they proceeded to tell me what happened. And I thought, Oh, this is unacceptable. You know, let's get together afterwards. We'll talk about it. You know, never mind whose church it is. It's not about that. We just need to straighten out the situation. Guess whose church it was? <laughs> it was one of my kids, right? So my wife and I, we had to leave camp, and we went down to get a, a, the bus or, or, or the van for that particular camp. And while we did, uh, this student, he's, uh, he starts a small riot. And Pastor Barry, in the A-frame, how many of you guys have been to Cedar Crest? All right, the A-frame over there, he incites this small riot, and Pastor Barry was just done, right? He was done. He was ready to come back to thrive and forget about the mountain, but he, he had to put the love of Christ into this guy and the fear of, of, of Christ into this kid. So I had to play detective uh, this week. We have to play a little bit of detective here with this verse because there are some apparent contradictions. Here's what happens. This centurion has a servant that is ill. He too sees an opportunity to have his servant be healed. So this centurion, what he does is this. He approaches the local people because he rules the local area. He approaches the local Jews and he tells them about his servant. And he says, basically he's saying with them, pleading with them and saying, hey, I've been good to you guys. I've built a synagogue. Would you go on my behalf to Jesus and see if you can get him to do this thing for me, right? Another, another, the other, the other uh, book doesn't really say that. It just kind of brings us right to the point where Jesus 
is approached by the man. So here's what happens. The centurion, you probably already know, centurion finds Jesus and he says, would you come, would you heal my servant? Jesus stops and he says, yes, I'll go. Jesus is just compelled to go when you're asking him, right? And so the centurion stops him and he says, you don't even have to come to my house. Jesus stops and he's like, oh, this guy, he's good. He says, you don't even have to come to my house. The centurion says, but just say the word, right? And so Jesus marvels at his faith. This centurion has, my second point, an expectancy that we don't operate with all the time. You see, we pray about things, and then we have this great Jesus moment, and we feel good, and then we're like, five minutes later, we're like, oh, Jesus, are you going to do it? Are you going to do this thing for me? It's like we lose faith. But this centurion, he was like, no. He says, I'm a man of authority also. I tell this one to go, he goes. I tell another one to come, he comes. I do this, I do that, they do it. So he understood that being expectant was okay in this situation. Jesus marveled at his faith. And Jesus says, let me read you the exact verse. Let's go to Matthew. Chapter 8, verse 13. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. Jesus was impressed by this guy because of his expectancy. Jesus marveled at it. And you know what? I understand that sometimes, like I said, we come to the Lord in prayer, and then we keep praying, and we get, keep praying. But we've got to come to this moment where we receive and we just know that we know that we know that he's going to do it, right? And then we've got to move from this asking phase to this phase of like, you know what, I have not seen it done yet, but I'm going to start to praise you about it. I have not tangibly seen the result that I've been so hoping for, but I'm going to start to, I'm going to continue to give you thanks for it because I know you've already done it. See, expectancy is a good thing, but here's how we don't, here's how not to be expectant like a child, like my children. You know, I have to watch every single thing that I say around them because they will take every single word that I say to the T, right? Daddy, you said, and then here come the tantrums in the middle of Target. I'm like, not right now, children, right? See, that's demanding, right? They don't know that we're teaching them and they're great girls, but you know what? Sometimes they get a little bit demanding, there's a difference between having expectancy and being demanding. See, that demanding can kind of blur a line between entitlement. Yeah, right? Like, no. I need, no. That's not how we're going to approach him with our expectancy. We're going to do it with honor. And here's the lesson, and here's why I say that. Because this man, this centurion, he was a man of authority. He did not have to go to the local Jews and approach them and say, hey, would you get your Lord, your rabbi, would you get Jesus to come to my house? Or would you get him to do this thing for me, my servant? is? He didn't have to do it that way. He could have said, go find this man and bring him to me. That's different. He could have done it that way. He could have just brought Jesus by force because he was a local ruler. He could have done it that way. But instead, what he did is he, he was honoring in the way that he did it. He didn't do it with, with a demanding type of attitude. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I'm capable of? No, he didn't do it that way. He approached the local community and he said, would you plead on my behalf? That got him better results. Expectancy without being demanding. Can you say amen to that? Here's, our, here's my last point, and then we're going to start to wrap up. This one's the toughest one, I think, for some. How many would admit that you have a bubble, a comfort zone, 
right? We, they just opened up a, a Cafe Rio up in the desert the other, like the last couple of weeks. And so our high desert palate is not used to it, right? So there are tons of people there every single day. And so we were there the other day and uh, it was funny because, you know, we're waiting through this line. You feel like cattle going through the line. It's crowded. The food smells so good and you're just not quite there yet. And so we get there, we get our food, we sit down. The only table that was available was right by the condiments, the soda machine. And so my wife and I were sitting at a table just like this. The condiments are right behind her. And this woman, let's say this is my wife right here. This woman had a baby on her side and did this, just Oh, got all up in Nicole's bubble, and we were both like, whoa, 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 sound the alarm, sound the alarm, right? <laughs> she's, she's over there, you know, reaching for stuff, and we're like, for a second there, we're like, you're invading our space, right? <laughs> our bubbles, our comfort zone, they're so near and dear to our heart. But you know what? Nothing worth giving God praise about, nothing worth shouting about is ever going to happen to you if you stay in your comfort zone as a person, as a church, as a community. Nothing worth being excited about, uh, excited about is going to happen if we stay in that bubble. And so we need to operate outside of it. And so for this, I want us to turn to, let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 14. First Samuel chapter 14. Are you there? Now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. His father is Saul, the king. This is Jonathan, a prince. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were there with him were about 600 men. Let's add a little bit of biblical context to this so that we can understand what is going on just in those two verses there. Jonathan is a prince. He is going to be a king one day. Well, no, he's not because of David, but he could be a king, a king one day, right? And... Saul is king, and he's in the middle. He's ruling his kingdom, newly formed kingdom. He's ruling it during a time of war. Some of us are old enough, old enough to remember war. Some of us are not. I remember the first war that I remember I was so intrigued by that I went through was Desert Storm. I remember being in sixth grade, and I remember, you know, these speeches these podium moments, and I remember the term shock and awe. You remember that? Shock and awe. That was the first war that I experienced on TV. I remember just them showing footage, and it was like dark and just green lasers flying all over the place. Remember that? Wars have evolved, and they're, fight, they're being fought different, but they're in a time of war. Praise God that we, nobody here in this room, can remember probably a time where war was on our soil, right? But Israel is in a time of war with the Philistines. And this is, this is a, a crucial time. They're losing battles, they're winning battles, there's death all around them. And here's what happens in the beginning of this verse. You've got Jonathan who has the opportunity to be hanging out with his father, the king, under a pomegranate tree in the time of war because this pomegranate tree is producing some shade. He absolutely has the ability as a prince to come and creep under this pomegranate tree, which isn't very tall, by the way, and say, make room for me there. I am a prince. Surely Saul would have done it. A pomegranate tree, for those of you that may not know, I recently discovered, they symbolize so, it symbolizes so many different things in the Old Testament. But one is luxury. 
wisdom. Many scholars believe that the fruit that was eaten by Adam and Eve was not the sexy apple. It was a pomegranate. The pomegranate has 613 seeds, which is equivalent to the amount of laws that the Jews, the Jewish people follow. King Saul had pomegranates inscribed in the tabernacle that he built all over the place because it represented luxury. So you've got Saul, pomegranate tree, luxury, let's go hang out during the time of war. He's cozy, he's comfy there, nothing to worry about. He's got an entourage, big one, 600 people. That's a big church. They're all hanging out with him, just hanging out. But Jonathan says, no, I'm not hanging out in that area, that comfort zone. Forget the pomegranate tree. I know there's shade there. I know I'm safe there right now. But you know what? I'm getting stirred up. And there's this battle that the Lord's going to give me right now. So he looks at his, his armor bearer and he says, come, let's go. Don't tell dad. And that's what they do. And it wasn't easy. They step out of their comfort zone. One verse says, let's see if I can find it real quick. It says, and Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearer after him, and they fell before Jonathan, and they came after him, and the armor bearer, armor bearer killed him. What happened is this. Jonathan went to this place where he needed to put in a lot of effort and sacrifice to get and win that battle. The place where he went, one was a slippery slope, the other one were sharp, jagged rocks. Either way, he wasn't making it up in one piece. He was going to have to put down a lot of sacrifice and effort to get this victory. But he was willing to do it. He climbed up on his hands and knees, probably got up there all tore up. But then the Bible goes on to say that Jonathan killed about 20 Philistines in about half an acre. Amazing. And then the Bible goes on to just moves on like as if nothing ever happened. Like, no big deal. You know, to be honest, he killed 20 people. Philistines at that. And it just goes on. But here's the thing. Sometimes as a church, I believe that we're just so comfortable in our comfort zone where we're not willing to break tradition sometimes. Oh, no, this is the way we've always done it for 47 years. Oh, it's okay. This is the way we like it. And it's hard to get out of that comfort zone and move outside that protective bubble because we're comfortable there. See, we know what goes on. We know how it goes on, when it goes on, how long it's going to go on. And so if we as a church purpose in our heart to say, you know what, I'm going to shed these comforts and we're going to go as a church, we're going to go after our local community and we're going to be intentional, though, about our actions. We're doing this because we're expecting this and because we're expecting this, we understand that we have to move outside of our comfort zone so that we can do it as a church to bless our community. Comfort zones are a trap. You hang out there too long, you're going to forget what possibilities are outside your comfort zone. You're comfortable there. We need to move outside that area and not forget that there is a, a great victory in store for us when we are so willing to just step outside that comfort zone. My wife and I, we've been going through, uh, as Pastor Barry said, we Originally started attending a church in Anaheim. My wife is from Anaheim. And uh, so we went to a church in Anaheim called The Rock. And when we, when we first started going there, we attended for a couple of months. And, and we just didn't know if this was the church we were going to be at. And so we were praying about it. We were considering many things. But one day the Lord spoke and it was just evident. It was obvious. This is the place we need to be for the next few years. The next thing we did is we jumped in headfirst to discipleship. And the discipleship program over there asked you to serve somewhere. I didn't know what that was, really. So we're like, all right, let's go. So we met somebody 
a character, I might add. His name is Pastor Art Garcia. And he was over the nursery at the time. And uh, I told him, I said, you know, Pastor Art, we joined discipleship. We got to serve somewhere. And he says, oh, you guys can come serve with me, family. I'm like, family? Yes, I like this guy. So we went, we got connected with him. We got, we got plugged in. Uh, my wife stayed serving in the nursery for about maybe six months. I served there for about a month, and then I moved over to the children's side, which was first, second, and third grade. Now, this was no easy task because, as you probably know, or maybe you've heard, the nursery at that time, during one service, they'd have 50 babies under the age of one, right? It was backbreaking. The classroom that I was serving in for that service, whatever service it is we served in, they had 150 first, second, and third graders. It was a lot of first, second, and third graders. It was hard work. But as we did it, we became comfortable with it, and we started to love it. It was rewarding. We would walk away physically exhausted, but spiritually just like, man, that was good. We became comfortable with that. Through the next couple of years, the Lord just started taking, around, taking us around all these different ages and age groups. And we're like, oh, okay, well, some minor adjustments, but we'll, we'll get the hang of it. Every service was huge, and so it was something big. I was driving from Downey to Laguna one day, and my cell phone rang. And it was a pastor friend of mine who had asked me this type of question in the past. Hey, who would you recommend for this ministry opportunity that we have right now? I'd ask him a couple of questions, and then I'd say, oh, you know what? Maybe you ought to call so-and-so. Thank you. That's what I needed. Never heard from him again. They moved on. Whatever. This time, my phone rang, and he says, hey, a pastor friend of mine is looking for a children's pastor in Hesperia. And I'm thinking, Hesperia? I don't know anybody in Hesperia. So he stops, he chuckles, he laughs, and he says, no, you. And I was like, oh, huh. The Lord had, the last year, the Lord had started to do some things in our lives where he was moving us and things were changing. And we knew that there was this change coming, but we, didn't, we couldn't put our finger on it. So we go up to Hesperia, and we visit the church and the campus, and when we get to the children's side, immediately I knew, this is what God was showing us about a year back. See, what I left out was that about a year back, I had felt impressed upon, about after praying about some things with my wife, I, I felt impressed to come to our, our leadership in the children's department and, and bring to them a vision that I thought was for our church. They received it and they said, we'll pray about it. They got back to me and they said, you know, this is good, but it's not really for us. I thought, oh, I just opened my big mouth. <laughs> Strike one, fail, right? I was like, oh my goodness, whatever, okay. I was being obedient. But when we came up to Hesperia and we saw the layout, I realized this is what God was talking about. We had no idea that it was for a different church, but it was so evident when we got there that that's, what it was, that's who it was for. So we prayed through some things and the Lord brought us up there. Six months into us leaving L.A. and going to the desert, uh, our pastor call, calls me in and he says, hey, I need to talk to you. Says, yes. He says, I'm going to need you to take over youth. In fact, I need you to be our next-gen guy. And I'm thinking, I never went to youth when I was that age. <laughs> I don't know what they do in there. And I'm thinking, young adults, I, went to, I took a couple classes in college but didn't finish. And I'm thinking, and the children, that was, children was our comfort zone. I was good there. I accepted that job happily. I was like, yes, we can do this. My wife and I, we know what to do. The Lord's amazing. He's already showed us, yes, this is going to be awesome. But youth, what is that? No, I don't think so. Well, his answer to me was, well, in this case, you're just going to have to trust that I have already prayed about it for you. I said, well, there you go. So we were put in this situation where we had to learn and adjust and seriously get pulled right out of our comfort zone. The first, second, and third graders, I could play mind tricks on those guys. Oh, they'll fall for it. But the high schoolers, not so much. You know, the young adults, they're just a whole other category. 
And you know what? We learned to love them and we became comfortable with it. And you know what? We realize now in hindsight that the Lord has been taking us around all these departments for specific reasons. He's been training us. Sometimes we start to, our flesh starts to get in the way and you start to think like, why am I still doing this? Not in a bad way. You're just being honest. You're like, I, I've, I know what the Lord spoke to me and what he called me to. But then sometimes you realize, no, you need to slow down and just stay right here where I have you because I have purpose and I have reason for it. We need to move outside our comfort zone. Recently, we felt like the Lord just giving us more insight into what he's going to have us do. And there's a new season coming in our life. It's far off. It's not right around the corner. But we realize that we've gone full circle, children's department from nursery all the way up to sixth grade, junior high and high school, young adults. And now the Lord, our pastor, told us and told me, he says, hey, I'm going to need you to start speaking more on Sunday. And I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> That's the parents. I don't know that they all like me. <laughs> That's not my comfort zone. But you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out. I'm going to be willing. I'm going to be obedient. And I'm going to allow the Lord to work and operate, not through what I'm doing, but because I'm willing to be a vessel. And I want to leave you with a couple of things. What we don't want to do with this message and our intentionality is this. We don't want to be like that crowd that walked all around Jesus. They had access to him. They were already right next to him. They were touching them, him. If they would have been smarter, they would have been like, this is my opportunity. I have need. And, and just grabbed and asked. But they didn't. This woman had to fight her way through the crowd full of intention and say, I'm going to grab this thing. So we need to be intentional. Let's not be like that crowd that was already there but missed it because they had no intention behind their action. Let's not be, when we are expectant, let's not be demanding, right? Like, like children. But you said, you told me. My daughter is good at, one of them is really good at reminding me. Remember three weeks ago, you, and I'm like, Yes little bit demanding there she doesn't know any better but we do let's come with him with expectancy but like the centurion with honor right, right? not like father no that already starts off wrong right the posture no come boldly to his throne of grace right Know who you are. Know that he wants to bless you, but not with a demanding type of attitude. We're not entitled to anything. The only thing we really truly are entitled to is it starts with a D. Death. That's right. If we're entitled to anything, it's death. We should pay for our own, if anything. Let's not stay in our bubble. Let's be willing to move outside of our comfort zone. It's not easy. We want fences, right? Sometimes people say the best neighbors are fences, right? Like we want boundaries. But you know what? Are we really showing the love of Christ when we're like, don't come to me during the hours of, it's my weekend, right? I'm on staff at church. And to top it off, my wife and I, we live at the church parsonage. We live right next door. And it's the desert. There's, our campus is huge, 12 acres. And so... All the time, people come by. You know, they just, sometimes we just get knocked on the door. And you know what? We have to be okay with that. I knew what I, I kind of knew what I was getting myself into. Duh, it's the parsonage next door. You know, it's the same color of the church. Of course, people are going to come by all the time. But I can't come out grumpy and be like, what do you want? Do you know, office hours are Monday through whatever? No. We have to be willing to operate outside of this comfort zone so that we can love our neighbor as you guys have so been learning, right, for the last 17 weeks, was it? <laughs> Listen, I think we're closing now. And uh, Pastor Barry's going to come up in a minute. But I think we've come to the most important part of this message. And it's this. Inspiration without application will not bring transformation. Let me say it one more time. Inspiration without application will not bring transformation. What I'm saying is, 
We need to be a people that doesn't, we don't just come to church on Sunday, get inspired and walk out and we're like, Pastor Barry, man, that was awesome today. And then go home and do nothing about it. Or that guest speaker that came in, man, those 17 points he brought, that, that was good and do nothing about it. We need to move past inspiration and we need to get to to the point of application so that we can see this transformation. I believe this is what Luke 6, 47 is talking about. When Jesus says, if anyone comes to me, hears my sayings, and then here's the hard part, and does them. Right? And then he goes on to brag. Let me show you who he is like. He is like the man who built his house on the rock. But if you don't do this, you're like that man who built a house on the sand. Right? So we need to move past inspiration. We need to get to application. We need to start doing. We need to start finding areas of opportunity where we can be intentional with people. It's okay to say, you know what? I'm going to go love on this person because I know that they've never experienced Jesus the way I have. Don't really want to because I've got the dog that I need to walk and or I got to go get my oil changed or I need new bread, whatever. But you know what? You go out of your way and you're intentional about what you do, about your actions. We need to be expectant about what we're asking God. It's okay to say, God, I'm going to do this and this is what I'm expecting. See, I think sometimes the enemy comes in and he lies to us and he'll use courtesy all of a sudden. All of a sudden he becomes courteous. And he comes over there and he plays mind games with us. And he's like, how are you going to go and ask for this when you won't even do this? He's playing games with us. No, be expectant. It's okay to say, you know what? I'm going to do this and this is the result that I expect. As long as you're doing it with honor. Pastor Barry, will you come on up? I just want to remind you today as, as maybe the worship team comes up. Pastor Barry led us through communion. And I want you to remember one more thing, if, if you remember anything at all. And that is that we're in a partnership with God. We're in a partnership with his son, Jesus, who died on the cross for us. We're not in this alone. When you step out to be intentional, you have the backing of the Almighty. When you decide to be expectant with your faith, you have a God that will deliver. And when you decide to move outside your comfort zone, guess what? You're not doing it alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. The Bible says he will never leave us nor forsake us. And I truly, truly believe that. Let's be a church that moves past inspiration. Let's find ways to apply the word of God, so that we can see that transformation, which is really what we're all seeking. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Pastor Barry. Hang out right, hang out right here. Thank you. Yeah. Initiate, expect, and move out of your bubble. That's a good word. I want you to notice something. In all three of those stories, none of those people looked like each other. One of the things that's so beautiful about Scripture is God didn't doesn't just pick one kind of person. Every person, every parable, every story, every miracle, every assignment, he uses a variety of people that look different, have different giftings, have different issues in their lives. And he says, yes, I'm choosing you. And so what I love about the three stories you shared today is that it's, it speaks to us as a congregation. Can we, in fact, let's stand together. God sees you and he says, I'm choosing you. I'm calling you to initiate. I'm calling you to expect. I'm calling you to move out of your comfort zone. And, and so it's very inclusive. It speaks to all of us. Would you pray for us? Would you pray for us as a congregation? Would you pray for us as followers of Jesus Christ? That we'd be empowered to do what you just shared with us? Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for Thrive Glendora. Father, I thank you for the many blessings that you have in store for this church. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit that every single church member and congregant here will be emboldened and empowered by your Spirit. 
I release them in the name of Jesus to move with intention, to move and live with expectancy, and to be willing to move and operate outside a comfort zone. Father, so that you can bring forth that blessing that you have in store for them, Father. Father, we understand that your will doesn't always come to pass. We can miss it sometimes. But I pray, Lord, that you also give us the ability to be just like Naaman, where he almost walked away from the miracle, but then he had the humility to come back and say, you know what, I'm going to do it just the way it was instructed of me. So I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that Thrive Glendora will will just thrive and soar and go beyond those things that even they can imagine, Lord, that you have in store for them, Father. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you just empower them, embold them, give them that they'd be able to take authority in the name of Jesus, Lord, and that they realize that it's not, it's not the works that they're doing, Lord, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to release it and bring it forth. Father, this is our prayer. This is our cry. This is what we ask for, Father. Father, we just ask and we bless you for all these things, Father. And we move to praise, Lord. We give you glory. We give you honor. You can raise your voice. You can lift up your voice. You can begin to clap. You can can begin to declare out of your mouth and your lips and give him thanks because he is going to do this thing. He's going to do that thing what he has put on your pastor's heart. It's going to come to pass. You can thank him for it because you're going to start to see growth. You're going to experience all these things that are going to start to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit. We just thank you for this, Jesus. Father, I pray a special blessing over over Pastor Barry and Megan, their family. Father, I pray that you give them every single thing that they need, Father. I pray blessing over them spiritually, physically, financially, Lord, and emotionally, Father, that they'd be able to tend to your church, Father, the way you've asked them to, Father. I pray all these things, and we receive all these things in Jesus' name. If you agree with me, say amen. Amen.